This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Vackra, snälla, dagens unga Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys, Owen Eric Carlson, in their keeper pool. So excited to be here. My name is Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is my co-host, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Nine tiers, over 100 of the most hardcore poolies out there across four continents. The whole world is involved in the cupful. They're registering you should too by Wednesday. Oh man, Brian, jumping right into the advertisements. Yes, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy Hockey League sign up deadline is this Wednesday. We'll talk about it a bit later in the show, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Before we get to that, let's mention another advertisement of sorts, but we are presented by dauberhockey.com. Guys, I'm just so excited about this episode. We're all over the place right now. Brian, you just went off book completely there, but we have a big episode here. We're going to be talking about the Yahoo rankings and which players we think are ranked too high, which guys we think are ranked too low, why that's important to you. But of course, before we get to that, like I was saying, we are presented by dauberhockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. You could get the guide, get their projections. Now's the time to get everything you need so you could succeed at your drafts. Yeah, and if you weren't listening closely enough, that last bonus episode we just released with Neil Parker, he's a regular writer over at DauberHockey.com, and that's what we like about Dauber Hockey. There's so many opinions, and you know, Neil and I didn't agree on everything, but that doesn't mean one of us has to be right all the time. 100% legitimate, well-thought-out fantasy opinions all season long, and this is when it counts, right before your drafts over at DauberHockey.com. Yeah, great site. Okay, another site that I guess we could debate whether it's great or not is Yahoo Fantasy, probably the most popular fantasy hockey platform out there. It's not our platform of choice because we're using Fantrax for the cupful, but I know a lot of people use Yahoo Fantasy, and that's why it's always very exciting when they come out with their pre-draft rankings because not everyone Shocking. This is a shocker. Not everyone listens to Keeping Carlson. Not everyone is going in depth on which players they think are going to be in the best situations. You know how Neil was saying in that interview, he looks a lot when he's projecting about the player situation, what they did in the past. Not everyone's looking into that. Some people are just going to look at the default rankings when they're drafting and sort of use that list as a basic guide. And if they see a guy who was ranked 15th and you're on like the 20th pick, they're not going to be able to resist just grabbing that guy at 15th. And that's why I think this episode is going to be so important because we're going to be talking about which guy 
guys we think you should be moving up and grabbing before it gets to where they are in the draft and also which guys you could just let your opponents take them yeah and if you're auto drafting too this is a very important episode to catch those big mistakes i still remember last year or actually two years ago nick felino was just on the board so often so high (laughs) and people would eventually take him in like the top 30 or 40 players because that huge 73 point season this is the episode where we warn you about the Nick Felinos in this in this year's rankings. Now you should already know about them from listening to the show, but there are a lot more subtle misrankings in our opinions that we're definitely going to dig into. And for the episode, Elon, we're going to assume right off the bat we're talking about one year redraft league, so we're not taking keeper situations into account. And we're also looking at like cupful-ish categories. So generally the standard categories with some emphasis on blocks, a little less attention to penalty minutes and plus minus. But I think a lot of our emphasis is just going to be on straight up point scoring. Yeah, scoring, maybe a little bit more for shots, maybe a little bit more for power play points. But yeah, the basic fantasy pool. Yeah, we're not going to be ranking Ryan Kessler very high because he gets a lot of face-off wins. So, it, And he is, by the way, ranked too high in the Yahoo rankings, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely is. Elon, one more thing before, you know, I, I see you're raring to go. I, I just want to point out, I don't know if we mentioned this on the regular show, that Yahoo did make a huge review of their player eligibility. So that's something you do need to check if you use Yahoo to figure out uh, if your guys who used to be more valuable because they could play two or three different positions, uh, if they still have that value going into the draft. I only counted 12 dual center and wing eligible players in the top 200 of their rankings, but I expect, you know, a few games or a few weeks into the season, uh, some of those eligibilities will be added back on. But just just wanted to throw that caveat out there. And also worth mentioning, Brent Burns, Dustin Bufflin, D only. Oh, no. Well, that's good enough, right? Like, that was crazy that you... <laughs> I don't know him. if I'm going to draft them anymore. <laughs> oh, no, I really wanted Brent Burns because I was able to put him as right wing. Defense is the hardest position to find a productive scorer on. And maybe let's let that lead us into the first guy I want to talk about here. A shocker. A keeping Carlson shocker. One of the first comments in the chat room for this very podcast, Ben mentioned, can't believe Carlson is at 18 on the Yahoo rankings. 18, like I remember last year, Carlson was really high and being drafted in the first round of pools. And that was before he put up 82 points in 82 games last year. How can a defenseman that got so many points last year is clearly the best offensive defenseman out there? Maybe you could say arguably if you want to talk about Brent Burns or Chris Letang, but like in a class of its own, how can Eric Carlson ever fall to round two of a draft? Brian, I feel like this is the most obvious misranking. And I'm not just saying it because I'm biased because I'm the host of a podcast. That's named after him. But I think if you could get Eric Carlson that late, good for you. But probably you should be bringing him higher. There's no way you want Corey Perry above Eric Carlson. It is worth noting that he is 18th, but he's still the second defenseman just behind Brent Burns, who's up at 13. That's debatable, although Brent Burns does offer a ton of shots on goal and might have a little more to work with up front. But Elon, you you have a prepared rant, and I don't know if I want to go first or if I should let you since you made a point we both have our rants about why defensemen should just generally be ranked higher on your draft list as you go into them 
Yeah, well, okay, I'll give you my quick rant. The patrons know all about it because I ranted about it on the last patron cast. But I feel like value over replacement is the most important term when you're thinking of when to draft defensemen in your fantasy draft. So a guy like Eric Carlson, he got 82 points as a defenseman last year. And I mentioned Brent Burns had 75 points, Chris Letang 67. After that, Roman Yosi was next with 61 points. So that's more than 20 points difference between Eric Carlson and the fourth ranked defenseman. And you're forced in your draft. At the end of the day, you have to have your four defensemen or your six defensemen so you have to look at how many total points are you going to get if you take Carlson at your first pick or like a Corey Perry because if you could get Carlson and then later on get a guy who's maybe two or three points less than Corey Perry versus getting Perry and then a defenseman who's 20 points under Carlson it's a huge difference and that's why I just feel like I'm picking on Corey Perry just because he's ranked 16th on the list Carlson is 18th I also see Evgeny Kuznetsov at 17th Give me Carlson above those guys. Maybe those are the low-hanging fruit. But, you know, even if we're talking about someone ranked really high, like Johnny Gaudreau at number eight, like Gaudreau had an amazing season, almost a point per game. But I have a feeling you're going to be able to find someone in the next round within 20 points of Johnny Gaudreau. Not sure if you'll be able to do the same for Eric Carlson. Yeah, yeah. I think that that essentially sums up my end of things, too. I mean, just consider, unless you have Eric Carlson or Brent Burns, the most production that you're going to get out of that D-spot is like 55 points, best case scenario. And then if you miss out on like the select few others who can hit 55 points, you're really looking at a 45, 50 point limit for that roster spot. Eric Carlson is a guy who's going to get you nearly a point per game in that roster slot. You have an automatic 30 point advantage right off the bat. Everybody's got to fill that D spot on their rosters. And there's no forward at any point in your draft that's going to give you a 30 point leg up on your competition and Elon another underrated aspect that defensemen offer uh, if your league counts power play assists that's a whole other reason to draft a defenseman higher last year seven of the top 10 power play assist getters were defensemen and for trivia purposes the three forwards Nicholas Backstrom Claude Giroux and Jacob Voracek two of those guys who I think we're going to definitely be talking about coming up in the show as other misranked players yeah, it's going to be very hard for us not to just jump around because I want to now talk about Nicholas Backstrom right now, who I think is ranked too low, but we'll get there. Yeah, I just think, by the way, Chris Letang, who I mentioned, is ranked 41. Maybe he's someone, when you say like the next possible guy, Letang, let's remember, he only had in total uh, 67 points, but that was in 71 games. So he was very close to putting up Carlson numbers. So I'll give you a break. If you could get Letang, Brent Burns, or Eric Carlson, maybe they could end up around the same. But yeah, definitely just like you say, value over replacement makes a guy like Carlson not 18th. He should be drafted in your first round. So that's defense. How about a goalie here? I don't know. Actually, this will be an interesting discussion, Brian, about where goalies should be ranked overall. But one name that really jumped out at me on this list, and we're sort of, by the way, for this episode, just going to be going down the list, talking about guys that we see that are, you know, too low or too high as we go down from number one all the way to like number 600, where we're getting into true sleepers. But I would say that one name that really jumped out at me was Carey Price down at number 20. This is a guy who last year was being picked by some people like number one in their drafts. Like he had such an amazing season two seasons ago and he was like really amazing last year in the short time that he played. Unfortunately, he got injured and missed the whole end of the season. But when Brian, when we were talking about the couple categories, we talked about how we were going to use save points, which was this goalie category for saves minus goals against. Carey Price was averaging like 13 save points a game. It was the highest of all of the goalies. He's going to come back. Montreal, you know, say what you will about them. Say what you will about how they traded away P.K. Subban. They brought in Radulov. They should be able to get some offense. They should be able to get some wins. And they have the best goalie. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with Carey Price so low, especially when you see that Jonathan Quick is one spot above him at number 19. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a whole other aspect of this conversation. Is Carey Price too low or is Jonathan Quick too high? 
I actually think it's probably a bit of both. Carrie Price, of course, last year's undisputed, sometimes number one pick for people who wanted to get that goalie uh, ahead of everybody else and have that huge advantage that Carrie Price offers. I think he's being hit a little too hard for the injury situation last year. And I don't know that Montreal handled things the proper way. They were probably desperate to bring him back now that we have some insight into just how badly their locker room was falling apart towards the end of last season after the Subban trade, all sorts of stuff came out about it. And Andrew Shaw also was brought in to help. Anyway, we know more about the panic inside that organization. And maybe that contributed to all these reports that price was coming back and then he couldn't. And I feel like that rests more on the Canadian shoulders and it does on carry prices. I don't see him as somebody who's unreliable due to injury And the World Cup, of course, is going to be a great window into that. If we can see him play healthy for two weeks, I feel like all deaths will be erased and he should be back up with Braden Holtby right around the 10 spot. Uh, He's actually fourth amongst goalies. Ben Bishop also ahead of him, which is, you know, fairly reasonable. Ben Bishop is not known to have any huge injuries, although he did have some issues towards the end of the playoffs last year. Uh, But he is on a team that's a lot better than Montreal. So I suppose that's the reason for that. But Elon, I agree. Carey Price too low. Jonathan Quick, too high. He's not even a, he's not a top 10 goalie in terms of even strength save percentage. So even while he plays for a team that's going to help you with wins, which is of course valuable in fantasy, you've got to take into account he's not the save percentage stalwart that he was made out to be like five years ago now and still has not lived up to. Yeah. And also when you say that uh, Jonathan Quick is playing for a team that will get you wins. I mean, LA didn't make the playoffs last year. So it's not as if they're going to get you like a whole ton of wins. Maybe they can get themselves back into the playoffs. Maybe they played better than their final standing indicated. But, you know, we're not talking about Braden Holtby here, who played on a team that allowed him to get almost 50 wins on the year. Yeah, so we'll, we're actually going to get into all of this a lot more next week because next week is our annual Schmore Goalies Borg episode where we're going to be ranking all of the goalies. But we couldn't help but mention Carey Price like barely making the top 20 when last year he was like number one or two. Okay, Brian, I know you have a guy that's, I think, right next on the list after Carey Price that you also think is ranked a little bit too low. You know, I don't have the numbers up on my sheet, so I'm going to guess that it's Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. Okay, good. Evgeny Malkin, he's down at 21st, and I feel like he's another guy like Price, who's being unnecessarily penalized for missing time. And with Malkin, okay, it's a more consistent thing. You can pretty much set your watch to him missing 10 or 15 games played a year. And if that happens at the wrong time of the season, you're in big trouble. I get it. And that's scary for a lot of people who are about to draft him. But he does a lot of really great work when he's healthy. He's a point-per-game guy when healthy. And, you know, his value right now is the lowest it's going to be until he misses time again. Like the second the season starts, people are going to be kicking themselves for not grabbing Malkin. And remember, like he came back in the playoffs when he wasn't expected to. I remember there were some playoff drafts happening and I just thought Malkin would not return in time to have a meaningful impact on the Pittsburgh Penguins playoff scenario. And sure enough, he came back sooner than expected, was dominant And, of course, help the Penguins win the Stanley Cup. You know, and Malkin, this would be the second straight year where he was going for a little later in the draft than I would have expected him to. I remember I was marveling. Like, he was a first-round guarantee for so many years, essentially since his draft year. 
And then last year, he was trickling into the start of the second round. And I'm just thinking that's probably a little too late for Malkin, even with injury concerns. Yeah, so Ryan here in the chat is pointing out that he grabbed Malkin in the draft last year and he's kicking himself for taking him. Yeah, last year's injury was at a really bad time. It was like right in the fantasy hockey playoffs. And that is the big risk. It's been a long time since Malkin put together a full season. Like his game plays for the last few years are 57, 69, 60, 31, 75. You actually have to go all the way back to 2008, 2009 to see him playing over 82 games but like you say brian if you're in a head-to-head league for the weeks that malkin is in your lineup he's like a point per game and like he's so good like last year in the playoffs i remember that he wasn't even really on one of the main lines like crosby was with hornfist i think connor shiri then there was that kessel line that was on fire with nick benino and carl Haglin. so malkin was sort of playing with not the the greatest line mates i guess maybe chris kunitz was there i don't actually remember he still ended up with 18 points in 23 games that's 18 points in 23 games on what was essentially i guess the third line or maybe you could call kessel's line the third line Anyways, that's not going to be the case next year. I'm sure Malkin will be playing with some really good players. I, I don't see him playing, you know, not with either Kessel or Hornqvist or, you know, someone like that. So just another reason why he's going to be really good. Yeah, the injuries suck, but in a head-to-head league, you know, hopefully they just don't happen when you need him the most, like it happened last year. Yeah, for sure. And like, if you're still a little worried about the injury thing, you can always grab him and then flip him because again, he's going to be a lot more valuable in two months time than he is today. So you could sneak in and grab him for pennies on the dollar. If a lot of people are following these Yahoo rankings, Elon, I have two things to mention before we move forward. The first is we mentioned, we meant to mention it off the top of the show, and I'm sorry to interrupt the flow. I was wrong last week about uh, Mr. Bednar, the new coach in Colorado. He was in the Columbus organization, not the Colorado organization. Columbus moved their minor league affiliate into Colorado's, like not merge them, but Lake Erie's. Anyway, whatever, you get the point. I blew it. So I apologize to everybody for that. And Elon, I'm saving uh, you the trouble here. Dustin in the chat called you out. LA did make the playoffs last year. Uh, They made the playoffs pretty handily. They actually had a really great win total. They had 48 wins last year, which puts them uh, right in the top 10 in the league. Remember, they lost in the first round to San Jose. I think you were thinking of two years ago. That's a pretty honest mistake. Oops. Sorry. (laughs) Well, they've recently not made the playoffs. So all these seasons merge together. Sorry about that. Thank you for correcting me, Dustin. Okay, won't happen again. Okay, we were talking about Evgeny Malkin. Just to mention the guys who he's ahead of, like I already mentioned Corey Perry before, so I won't keep beating that dead horse. Evgeny Kuznetsov also at 17. You know, I'm going to take Malkin over Evgeny Kuznetsov. Like there's question marks over Kuznetsov because he's not on the top line and top power play. And I think that's also interesting, Brian, because you mentioned a guy who was so good last year, is always underrated, Nicholas Backstrom, down at number 31. Do you really want Evgeny Kuznetsov ahead of Nicholas Backstrom, the guy who plays with Ovechkin on the top line and top power play? One day I do. I just don't know if that day comes this year in a keeper league. Absolutely understood. One year league, Backstrom is still my guy. If only because I know he's going to be on that power play. It works too well for them to want to change anything about it. In fact, remember I said he was one of the guys last season who was one of the three forwards to finish in the top 10 in power play assists. He actually led the league last season in power play assists and the season before that and the season before that. So he's your league leader in power play assists for three consecutive seasons and counting. I understand the risk of Kuznetsov taking over, maybe more so at even strength. I'm open to that, but on the power play, I think Backstrom still stays there. He's just turning 29 in November. So there's a few good years ahead of him. And until he's spending more time 
away from Ovechkin than we've noticed him doing in the past. I still take him as my first center on Washington. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, Kuznetsov had a really great year last year. He had 77 points in 82 games. We talked about actually just in our last episode how he sort of tailed off at the end, which was a little bit concerning. Nicholas Backstrom had 70 points in 75 games, which is pretty much the same pace. So it's not as if Kuznetsov was so much better last year. They were basically the same, except Backstrom gave you all of those power play points. Can I use this situation, Elon, to segue into another which center from the same team should I take first? Go for it. All right. Let's move to San Jose where we have... Logan Couture ranks ahead of Joe Thornton. Couture is up around 24. Thornton is at 40. And, you know, at first I thought this was just blasphemous after the season that Thornton had last season. And I still do. But this is also going to turn into my own realization. Like, I've been vaguely saying don't worry about Logan Couture for a while now. And I've heard so many doubters that I'm starting to doubt myself. But I'm going to remind everyone he still belongs in the top chunk of your draft. He actually averaged a 66 point full season pace over the four years before this last one where he had injuries and there were troubles. We're all very familiar with it by now, but ahead of Thornton, I don't know if if I'm ready to put him there yet. It's, it's to me like a Backstrom Kuznetsov sort of parallel in that I'm going to take the guy who's been there for all these years until he gives up that spot. I think the benefit of maybe picking Couture over Thornton is that he's going to get you more goals than Thornton will. But if we're looking points only and also at what Thornton can do in terms of your assist counts, I still think that Couture is probably ranked a little too high in general. And just the fact that he's above Thornton makes him automatically too high. Yeah, Brian, I'm going to even like not skirt around it as much as as you are, like not saying you're doing anything wrong. Like Couture, he's really great and he had an amazing playoffs. His career high is 67 points, which is fantastic and yeah you could draft him for his upside for more i'm not saying he can't do more but he's 27 years old okay he's not like brand new into the league he's played like seven seasons already so i feel like for a 67 point guy i'm not taking him 24th overall especially when you look down the list and right below him you see like you mentioned thornton at 40 but you also see guys like blake wheeler at 36 dustin bufflin at 38 who was Neil on the podcast that you did, the interview with him was very high on Dustin Bufflin for good reason. Back to our, you know, defenseman conversation. Like he should be more valuable. Like Blake Wheeler was like 75 or more points last year. So he'd have to fall by a lot and Couture would have to rise by a lot for them to be even even. So there's no way I'm taking Couture, who's by the way, also a center compared to Wheeler, who's a winger and wingers are harder to find. Both of those guys, you could just flip them for me because I think Couture is good, but I don't think he's like 75 points good. Like I think Wheeler is. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think we need to see him get those prime opportunities all the way through the season. He's got some recovering to do, too. His stock isn't at an all-time high. Like you mentioned, Elon, his career high is 67 points. The positive is that he kept up that pace over four seasons, so it wasn't just a fluke. Like He's been a steady, almost 70-point producer, but there might be guys with some better upside around the same time that you grab him. Yeah, and I guess I've mentioned in the chat and someone I wanted to mention anyways around this time, Dustin is saying James Neal is way too high. And I know, Brian, you're high on James Neal, but he's ranked at number 33. So also ahead of Wheeler and Bufflin and Joe Thornton. Like, I don't know if Blake, I think like James Neal is is similar to Logan Couture in that like he has the potential to be really good, but I don't think he's showed himself to be a 70 plus point guy. I could see him getting 65 next year with like over 30 of them being goals but I don't see a reason why he should be higher than these other guys. 
65 would be a really successful season. We saw him do it last year. It'd be great if he could do it again, but I agree, Lani doesn't quite possess the same upside as some of these other guys around that draft ranking do. Yeah, so those are the guys around there. Maybe now we could go slink a little bit down the list. By the way, in the chat room, let us know if you think we're missing anyone. I'm seeing Kucherov's name mentioned. He's very high in the list. He is over at 29. So uh, we've talked about Kucherov a lot. He does have a lot of upside. I would say that Kucherov has more upside for points than James Neal. I don't know if that's weird uh, to say, but I think so. I don't know. I take them around the same spot. So maybe Kucherov is a little high. I'm not going to like argue too much there. Let's go down. Okay. Let's go down the list a little bit, Brian. I wanted to stop at number 44, Drew Doughty. Okay, maybe I'm going to be crazy for insulting or disparaging the Norris Trophy reigning winner, but he's number 44 on the list overall, and he is ahead of like a lot of really good defensemen. Like I'm seeing after Drew Doughty, guys like Oliver ekman Larson, Ghost Bear, John Carlson, Roman Yosey, John Klingberg. I think Drew Doughty has a lot of real world value, and he for sure has some fantasy value like he's uh pretty much a lock to get you 40 points but i don't know if he's as sure of a thing to get you 50 plus points as some of those other guys i just mentioned well no and he also doesn't have the peripherals like we know oliver ekman larson can score goals and take a lot of shots we know shane ghost bear has an incredible power play to work with so does john carlson so does john klingberg roman yosi gets you a ton of blocks it's like what added value beyond those 45 50 points does Doughty really bring your team answer is not enough to rank him higher than any of those guys. And certainly not only three spots lower than Chris Letang. I would say there's probably like seven, eight guys ranked below Dowdy, at least that I would give priority to when I'm drafting up my own ranking list. Yeah. And I guess I should correct myself. He actually did have 51 points last year, which was his career high. So maybe, yeah, I should give him his due and say he could be a 50 point guy, but I don't know if he's going to be able to do it again. Like, was that sustainable? I know you haven't looked into that enough, Brian, to answer off the spot here, but I don't know. Like he's mainly been more of a 45 point pace kind of guy. The year before, two seasons ago, he was 37 points in 78 games. That was a huge jump recently. I definitely don't think he has more upside than that. And like we say, all these other guys bring you so much, not only in more points, but also these peripherals. Yeah, that's about as generous as I would be with Drew Doughty. I think you summed it up. I for, I called him a 45, 50 point guy. And Elon, without having uh, had the, the luxury of really going deep into him before this live show, I'm going to say that I don't expect him to break out any further than that. And again, if you're getting 45, 50 points with no real standout peripherals. You don't deserve to be ranked that high. This all might come across as like petty revenge for the whole Norris Trophy incident earlier this summer. But I assure you, uh, this is a level-headed analysis. You can go ahead and take Doughty, but I don't suggest you do if you want to be the most competitive team in your league. Well, yeah, again, the whole point of this podcast that we're talking about is like we are telling you which guys we think are ranked too high. So you can draft Audi, but I think that you'd be smarter to let someone else do it. You could wait a round or two if people are drafting like that. Grab yourself John Carlson, who's going to get you probably more points, more power play points, more blocks. I can tell you, Elon, thanks for buying me just another minute or so of time. He had the highest on-ice shooting percentage of his career on the power play last season, which helped him pick up. Well, he actually tied his career high with 23 points on the power play, but that's eight more than he had the season before, 11 points more than he had the season before that, and in less time. Actually, you know what? That's not necessarily a thing because the quicker you score on the power play, the less time you're going to play. So I'm not going to go down that route with it. He also had a giant 
IPP on the power play, just under 90% of all goals scored while he was on the ice, he was able to be a part of. Generally, he's hovered around the 50-60% mark, maybe even 45%. So those are all reasons to consider that Drew Doughty might slink back down to 45 points and really just have to show off his incredible defensive acumen to win the Norris again. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I think he's got his Norris. It's time for someone else to take a turn. Maybe they'll not want to give it to Carlson again, but I'm sure they'll have someone else that they want to give it to. Okay, let's not get into those politics. So now that we're around the 50s, I have one guy, Brian, who I'm very curious to know. I don't, I'm don't. i not necessarily saying that I think he's ranked too high, but he really jumped out at me as someone who I think like, why is he so high? I'm talking about Mark Shifley over at number 51. So Shifley you know, had a really great end to the year last year, no doubt about it. He got on the top line when Brian Little got injured and he was playing with Blake Wheeler and I believe it was Ehlers and they had a really good run together. And overall in the year, he had 61 points in 71 games, which is really good. That equals a 70 point pace. So I guess a guy who could put up a 70 point pace, that's a good reason to draft him that high over in the 50s. That might even be a steal if he could get that many points. So I guess I'm just curious to know, do you think that that's the real Mark Shifley? Like, should we be expecting a 70 point season from him next year? Because just, you know, to mention other guys that he's ahead of, you know, Ryan Johansson, who was talked big on on your interview with Neil earlier this week. You know, he's at 61, 54 for Mark Shifley. To me, seems a little high compared to the guys around him. But I want to know if you think he actually is a 70 point guy. And I'm just like not realizing it. Mark Shively earned a lot of those points. And I think he's a very talented hockey player, whether he's a 70 point player, no question. I would bet no for next year. I mean, his percentages were kind of high while he was having success, both his own personal shooting percentage and the shooting percentage of his teammates. And even if he is like a 65 point guy with 70 point upside, there remains the question of whether he's going to hold down that first line center spot the whole season through. Like the Jets are in a very competitive division and you have to wonder if they're down three to two late in the game, do they put Little back up with Wheeler and say Ehlers or Perot or whoever ends up on the left side back together to try and make some magic happen? I know Shifley had his own share of magic with Wheeler. However, the fact that there's a question about whether or not Shifley is going to be the first line center night in and night out in Winnipeg is enough to bump him down a few spots under those sure guys that you mentioned, Elon, like Ryan Johansson. There's no doubt in my mind or anyone's mind that he's going to be leading the Nashville Predators uh, down the middle night in, night out. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you're saying like in a keeper league, probably Shifley should be really high, but so should Ryan Johansson, by the way. But maybe just we don't know as much. We're not as sure about Shifley being able to be a 70-point guy as we think Ryan Johansson can be. So maybe you've got to flip those two in the draft order. Brian, that's all I've got for the top 100, except for one guy at number 97, who I know you're going to want to talk about as well. So do you have anyone in between that you want to talk about? No, I'm going right down to the end of the top 100 as well. All right, give it to me. I'm going to Alex Galchenyuk. We're talking about number one centers. I know this isn't the one you were thinking of, but I'm going to put him out there anyway. Just as a candidate to maybe bump up your draft list. He's not a guy that's for sure ranked too low in my opinion, but he's a guy that could be as a first line center. If we're giving Mark Shifley enough credit that he is the new first line center in Winnipeg, that he ranks 50. I don't understand why Alex Galchenyuk, who to me has similar upside and has amazing wingers is going to be all the way down almost 47 spots beneath. So I think that's more of a relative thing. It's either Shifley is too high or Galchenyuk is too low, maybe they should probably be meeting somewhere in the middle because neither of them are set in stone as their team's first line centers. But 
they're close to it. We just don't know if they're going to be allowed to take that step yet this year. Yeah, I don't know. Like Galchenyuk at 96 doesn't actually seem that, like Yahoo is too off there. Like I look at the centermen on top of him and I guess, sure, we could talk about Mark Scheife like we already did. But the other centers on top of Galchenyuk are like Tyler Toffoli, Jeff Carter. Okay, Ryan Kessler, let's put him aside. I already talked about him before. I don't want to talk about Ryan Kessler. But, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Chen, Matthew Shane, Jonathan Taves. Like, these are all guys who I think probably could like a good argument could be made for why they should be drafted ahead of Galchenyuk so I don't know I might disagree with respectfully of course fantasy hockey robot Brian Kahn but I I think that Galchenyuk he's kind of fine where he is like definitely you could draft him a bit higher if you feel good about him but I don't think this is like a crazy ranking for him I think they're all guys who have scored more like if you look at Taves and Ladd and Brandon Saad they've all scored more than Galchenyuk in the past I just don't know that they're going to in the future. And that's where the question in my mind comes in of whether he deserves to be ranked there. Okay, but who said Ladd and Brandon Sad? I didn't mention those names. I said Well, Jeff they're Car- also ahead. You cherry picked oh, okay. the best names. I want to throw in some of the worst ones. Okay, fair enough. Oh, I was just looking at centers. That's why. Okay, I had it filtered. All right. So the guy who I wanted to talk about, Brian, who's in the still the top 100, but I think way too low in the top 100 is Jacob Voracek, all the way down at 97. This is a guy who last year was being ranked in like the first or second round of fantasy leagues. And for good reason, because like two seasons ago, he had 81 points in 82 games. And so we all thought he was amazing. And I guess he let a lot of people down because he only ended up with 55 points in 73 games last year. But we've talked about it all summer, how Voracek and Philadelphia in general were like struggling so much at the beginning of the year. They had horrible luck. By the end of the year, Voracek was back to getting a good number of points. I guess he still wasn't on the top line. So that's why I could see him dropping a little bit. Like I could see him around 50, maybe 60, but 97 I don't know. I think that you should definitely try to get Voracek higher and not let him fall this far in your draft. We talked about Malkin being penalized for a week end of the regular season. Yeah, Voracek is still facing the effects of struggling going into the start of last season. He had a really rough time at the start of the year. We remember Giroud, Voracek, both of them. One of them was shooting like 3%. The power play wasn't clicking. Nothing was going right. And that was short-lived. Voracek was able to pick it up and get his game back together to the point that by the end of the year, uh, he was right back on to the pace, some of the best paces that he's put up in his career. He finished the season with 55 points in 73 games. However, that speaks very little to uh, how he did in the latter half of the season. I'll I'll pull up the splits in a little bit. If I can, Uh, I don't think that's who he is. And remember, he's on, I would say, the league's second best power play behind that Washington power play. And I would not ever dream of drafting him outside like the top 50. So that could be a really great bargain. And a lot of people, I think, were underrating him even going into last year and the year before that. I never feel like he's gotten the credit he's deserved, even though before this season, two out of three were point per game years. And the one that wasn't, he still broke 60 points. He had 62 points, throw in a whole bunch of power play points on top of that. And he is a valuable player. And Elon, I'm about to bring up the split stats. What do you think? Am I am I pushing him way too high up into the top 50? Like I'd rather see him closer to 50 than closer to 100. I don't know like who he bumps from the top 50. Like there's definitely some good names there. Like we've mentioned some people who he could bump, but we've also mentioned some people that probably deserve to be in that top 50. Like we see Ryan Getzlaff down at 54. He should probably be in the top 50. John Carlson, I've already mentioned. I don't know, Zach Parisi. So I could see some names. So I'm not sure if Voracek cracks the top 50, but I think he's like around there. He's in the same tier of guys that are there. He's not in the same tier as like TJ Oshie 
and Galchenyuk, the aforementioned, or like uh, Max Domi or Milan Lucic, in my opinion. Like, I think he's a level above them, and those are the guys around him currently. Yeah, I think that's fair. And digging a little bit more into Voracek's numbers, I, I can now let you know he had 35 points in 36 games over a three-month span after that pretty awful start where he had just three points in 10 games. So... Yeah, Elon, I I, don't, I feel like I've said everything already. Like, I don't want to just repeat myself, but way higher, way higher than 97. The question is now, how high do you want to reach for him if everybody else is valuing him low? Because a lot of people look at Yahoo's rankings and think, oh, Yahoo, Yahoo knows what they're talking about. There's a reason he's down at 97, so I'm not going to touch him. That's not the case here with Jakub Voracek. I think you're good. I think you're right. I think we've said enough. We're saying don't be fooled. Get him earlier in your draft if you can. Okay, let's go into the 100s now. I see a lot of guys here that I feel like belong in the sub 100. And then you see just a few names, like little diamonds in the rough. Like at this point when I'm getting down into the 100s, you know, I'm seeing like UC Jokinen at 103 seems a bit high. Boone Jenner's around there. I'm looking for guys who are the guys who are in the lower 100s who are actually potentially top line top power play guys that it's like how can they not be higher so some names that really jump out of me there who i think should be bumped up a little bit i see david Krejci over at 105 that's a guy who was almost a point per game for a good stretch of last year ended up having a great season of course maybe there's some injury concern but you know just like with malkin i think that while he's playing he's going to be doing a lot more for you than say a uh, uc Jokinen or like the aforementioned uh, tj oshi or just some of the other names we've thrown out and then around David Krejci, like in a similar vein, you know, if you keep going down the list, I can see Patrick Hornquist at 124, another guy who I think is going to be on the top power play. Even like uh, Derek Stepan, who's down at 169. And I know in the chat here, Dustin is saying we should talk about Zibanejad, who's down at 180. But like, I think Zibanejad could be good. He could maybe hit like 60 points if everything goes really well. Derek Stepan is like the de facto, I think, top line, top power play guy on the Rangers. Uh, we did a mock auction draft with the patrons just a little while ago, and I got Derek Stepan for $1. And I feel like I would be lucky to get, I mean, I'm giving away my secrets, of course, but I think I would be lucky to get him in my actual auction draft this year for that cheap. Anyways, Brian, that's a lot of names to throw at you. But yeah, just to summarize, I said Krejci, Hornquist, and Derek Stepan. Yeah, those are all good guys. Like at this point in your draft, once you get out of the top 100 and you're into like the seventh or eighth round, there should only be guys like with 55 point upside or so. And Elon, you found a whole bunch of forwards who have 60 point upside still because of their role and their demonstrated talent in the past. I'm even going to lump in a couple other names there with them. Elon, if you don't mind, you can recoil and kick them out of the group if you want. Uh, but I'm looking at a couple wingers right off the bat. Rick Nash down at 101, which is like a 70 ranking drop, I think, from where I'm used to seeing him mm-hmm. ranked for these drafts. Mark Stone at 107, also a guy who's going to see a lot of power play time, is an amazing setup man. And if Mike Hoffman plays more minutes in Ottawa this year and Mark Stone gets to be there with him, uh, they work very well together. And Tyler Johnson in Tampa, I know people are cool on him. Last season, after having a point-per-game year the year before and when all the triplets broke out, he had just 38 points in 69 games, and he was someone that was bumped way up last year to the top 20, and I said, hang on, I'm not ready to get him that high, and now I'm thinking, this is way too low. Like, we're just going from one pole to the other, and I don't see with Johnson an impossibility that he can reach 60 points. Last year, he was working through some injury stuff. His shooting percentage was way down compared to his career mark that he had gotten to that point. So I do expect somewhat of a bounce back from his 38 points in 69 games last year. Again, I think you're looking at 55 points, probably as a floor for Tyler Johnson, 
with 60 plus upside. Yeah, Brian, I, okay, you've said so many things here. I have so many things to respond to. Uh, I guess I'll go in reverse order. Tyler Johnson, I feel like you're even selling him short. You're like saying, ooh, he has upside to maybe get 60 points. Like two seasons ago, he had 72 points in 77 games. So he has upside for more. Maybe you could say that was like completely unsustainable, will never happen again. I don't know. He's still young. I feel like obviously I'm not saying like bank on him for 70 points, but if we're talking about guys in the lower 100s like Tyler Johnson is down at 114 I think yeah like a guy who has had 70 points before and can reasonably do it again definitely I agree he's probably ranked too high and like Mark Stone maybe he hasn't hit 70 he's very interesting but then I want to throw back at you a couple of guys who are their line mates are who are even lower on the list if you're talking about Tyler Johnson and Mark Stone in like the early 100 teens how about Kyle Turris at 168 and Andre Palat at 161 Do you think that those guys are so different from their counterparts that you just brought up? Well, Tyler Johnson has been able to score more goals than Andre Palat. Andre Palat, I feel like, is more of an assist getter, which, of course, might bump him down a little bit in your rankings. Andre Palat is capable, though, of 60-plus. And actually, as he and Stone were coming up, I like to make a lot of comparisons between how their careers had been looking to that point because they were of a similar age, breaking into the NHL at a similar time. So, yeah, he's there. And Kyle Turris... You know, he also played through a lot of injury troubles last year. He was probably playing far beyond the time that the Sens should have shut him down. They didn't because they had this crazy playoff pipe dream. And, of course, once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. That's, I guess, a rant for another day. But Kyle Torres probably gets ranked poorly because he had to play when he wasn't 100% healthy. And I think he's going to come back and surprise a lot of people the way he did two years before that and three years before that as a very capable, potentially first-line center. The rub there, Elon, is that perhaps with Derek Broussard there, we don't have that concrete sense that Terrace is guaranteed to be the top-line center, top-line power play time. We have to see how that ice time gets distributed between the two of them and which wingers he's going to get to play with. Right. So yeah, maybe tourists has a little bit of a question mark. Still 168 seems a bit low. But hey, if we're talking about a guy who's pretty much guaranteed to be top line and top power play center, why don't you go to 192? Paul Stasny, we've already talked about a lot on the podcast over the summer. He put over a 60 point pace last year and he was contending with David Backus sometimes for that power play time. This year, like there's no other centers in St. Louis. I know we've, we've already said this a lot before, but like that I think is another steal at 192. I feel like this whole group of like Stepan and Turris and Stasny, these centers that are like their team's potential top line centers, maybe especially Stasny, way too low. By the way, I'm seeing in the chat room that Ben is saying he still has a box of Oshie's cereal. I don't know the reference exactly, but I think he's saying that he likes TJ Oshie. Maybe I've been too hard on TJ Oshie being ranked at number 99, but I don't know. I don't see it. I don't know why people are so high on him. Like, yeah, he's on Washington yeah last year he played with Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom which is a great situation he ended the year with 51 points in 80 games in that great situation that's actually lower than what he used to do in St. Louis like he had 55 points the year before that and 60 points the year before that so this 51 points was a real drop-off for him I don't know Brian do you have a quick take on TJ Oshie like is he someone that you could maybe you could expect a bit more than 51 maybe 55 but I don't see him as a 60 point guy anymore no he's not somebody I'm going to reach for now if you look on the right side in Washington there isn't a ton of competition there for him I mean last year it was him and Williams and we know Williams was benefiting a ton from Kuznetsov and Oshi was doing all right where he was like he did see significant time with Backstrom and Ovechkin and ended up with 51 points. I think he could probably get up to 55, but he's not somebody that I'm reaching for, hoping for a huge breakout year. 
Elon, I want to talk about one other guy who's actually right under Paul Stasny. And I'm changing gears completely from TJ Oshie. I hope that's okay. Nick Thanks. Luddy is ranked 191st in your draft. And he is ranked below several defensemen who are not their team's power play quarterbacks. And in fact, he's ranked just a couple spots ahead of a guy like Dion Phaneuf and Nicholas Cronwall and Johnny Boychuk. And interestingly, Ryan Pulak, who I guess might be the reason to doubt that Nick Letty is going to be the power play quarterback at year's end. Hopefully this is a topic that we're actually going to get into further in a little prospects chat that we're hoping to have in a few weeks time. But I just figure there's no reason you should be drafting a guy like Matt Niskanen or Cam Fowler or Michael Stone or Anton Strahlman or Matt Dumba. These are the defensemen ranked ahead of Nick Letty. He's a bit of a steal. You can count on 40 points just by virtue of him being the quarterback of the Isles power play. Now, he did pick up a pretty good point total last year. He was able to have success on the power play. I don't know if that's because of his own talent and what he really can bring to that power play or if it was just by virtue of getting those minutes, which will be the question that probably determines if he finishes the year as the power play quarterback. But to start the year, that's way too low for him to be drafted. Yeah, well, Nick Letty actually had a very interesting year last year because we were touting him on the podcast, going, like, you know, basically at this time last year, saying people should draft him because of the same reason, because he was going to be the top power play guy on the Islanders. He started the year so bad. He had six points in his first 25 games. A lot of people dropped him. A lot of you had the opportunity to pick Letty up as a free agent at that point. I don't even know if at that point, Brian, we were recommending that people do it just because he was being so bad. But then he really just shot up after that, had like six points in nine games I'm seeing in January, 11 points in 13 games in February, 10 and 16 in March. So he really ended the year strong. That pretty much brought him to 40 points, exactly a half point per game, pretty much in total last year. I'm not sure which Nick Letty will see, assuming he does get the top power play spot. I think it's true that he's going to end up around those 40 points. Maybe it might be a bit of a wild ride for you, though. Hopefully you'll just get the points from him when you need them and don't drop him right before the surge comes. Yeah, you know, I say that as a guy who did exactly that. I had him on my team for a while. I drafted him later on as a bit of a steal or so I thought. And then he did nothing time after time. And then I dropped him and I even re-added him a couple times, hoping that something would happen. It didn't. You got to hope you get him on those runs. I think he can do it if he keeps getting the time. The question will be, is there enough internal competition, especially from potentially a rookie in Ryan, Ryan Pulak? We'll see that in camp to push him out of those minutes. And that would be a good reason for him to stay at that spot. And Elon, one more guy before we exit the top 200, if that's okay. Well, I actually have some goalies I wanted to mention, but you say your guy first. I'm actually going to a goalie as well. Steve <laughs> Mason ranked 195th in Yahoo rankings behind his backup, Elon, Michael Neuverth. Elon, do I have permission to call Michael Neuverth Steve Mason's backup? Sure. I mean, a lot of people think that Neuverth is going to challenge. Like he did take the job in the playoffs and put in some really great games. I guess it was like two really great games, to be fair. And he was really good when Mason was injured. So Neuverth, I think, is a very decent backup that can challenge. But at this point, I'll still agree that Mason is the starting goalie. I know you love Steve Mason. I think you love Steve Mason a little bit too much. I remember one time last year, you called him an elite goalie. And then a whole bunch of people on the Facebook group complained about it. But uh, he's good. Probably if you could get him this late in the draft, 
that would be a pretty good spot to get him. Like, especially like I'm not taking Michael Neuberth ahead of Steve Mason. If that's what you're asking, that's for sure. I'm not taking Ryan Miller ahead of him. And he's ranked at 170. Looking at the goalies now, Michael Neuberth, like you said, is at 166. Antini Yemi, 158. I'll probably take Mason over all of those guys. Yeah. And I also think Philly is looking to win. Granted, Elon, when I called him elite last year, you're right. I still stand by it. He did not do a lot to support me with his save percentage by the end of the year last season. I think he let a lot of people down who did take the Steve Mason plunge. But Philadelphia is probably looking to win games. Voracek and Giroux are not getting any younger. They're going into the late 20s, soon to be early 30s. And I feel like Philadelphia is going to be a team really making a push to make the playoffs and succeed. And hopefully that's the Steve Mason's benefit. Yeah, but one goalie that is... I guess a little bit higher than that, but I still think might be too low. How about Cam Talbot over at 154? And just to like get the goalie rankings here. And again, like we said, we're not going to dig too deep into goalies just because we have a whole goalie episode coming up next week. But I'm seeing Cam Talbot at 154 and he's behind James Reimer, like Varlamov, Bobrovsky, Halak, Leonard. I don't like Thomas Grice, by the way, at 123. What? Come on backup on the Islanders like maybe he could steal the job I guess that's the same as the Neuwirth and Mason situation Grice and Halak but give me Cam Talbot on an up-and-coming team hopefully I mean obviously there's a lot of people who love to debate about whether the Oilers are making smart decisions blah 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 we've done it a million times end of the day number one goalie put up great numbers last year on a weak Oilers team and I think we can expect the Oilers to be better than they were last year so I would definitely want Cam Talbot ahead of Thomas Grice and like Sergei Bobrovsky the goalie for Columbus yeah, Grice and Halak is a situation I'm really interested in getting into uh, next week, just as a little preview. I don't know why their situation seemed so up in the air with Grice being ranked ahead of Halak. I guess maybe if you figure they're both going to split time, Elon, then Grice might put up the better save percentage based on what we saw last year. But I'm still not convinced that he is the go-to goalie in Long Island's crease, or should I say Brooklyn's crease at this point. Oh, yeah, I forgot we're going to be calling them that next year. That's cool. Uh, so uh, let me just uh, mention a couple of names that are coming up in the chat here that I agree with. Oli Mata, higher than TJ Brody. We're still in the 100s here. I don't know why Oli Mata got that prime spot that he got in this draft list. He still hasn't proven anything, I think. So uh, unless this is just based on potential upside, I'm not sure where they came up with that. Mata is over at 189. Also, even a lot higher than that, I would really love to know how they came up with Eunice Donskoy over at 149. Like, yeah, he's like a good player. He had a decent playoffs, I suppose. And maybe he'll get into the top six on San Jose. But like, he's not even a guarantee in the top six, especially since they picked up Bodker. I'm not exactly sure where Donskoy would fit. He'd have to knock out someone like Hurdle or I guess Marlowe. You know, Bodker, like I just mentioned, he had 36 points in 76 games last year. There's a lot of guys we've talked about in the past 10 minutes who are ranked lower than Eunice Donskoy. And I think that's kind of crazy. Agreed. And one of those, Elon, can I enter into the 200s? Go for it. Okay, let's move to the... Okay, one last quick thing. Let me take one last quick look here if there's someone else I wanted to mention here. No, I I said UC Okanen, by the way, at 103, I think is a bit too high. But okay, Brian, let's leave the 100s. Let's go into the 200s. Someone in the chat is saying that they think that Yori Laterra is way too low at like 250-something. I don't know about that, but let's see who you wanted to talk about in the 200s. It's not Yori Laterra. He's had his opportunities, again, to make that STL magic that he did when he first entered the league. He hasn't been able to, and until I see otherwise, I'm going to expect that he is not able to. Yeah, and so 
as we enter the 200s, I think we could fairly say now we're getting into sleeper territory. I guess right now we're in shallow league sleeper territory. So we're no longer going to be complaining about people ranked too high in the 200s. Like, I guess you could obviously nitpick, like, why is Andre Markov a 220? Well, actually, he might be too low. Actually, I think that Markov might be better than where he is. But, you know, I'm not going to complain about Alex Tangai being at 226. Like, he should be at 300. That's silly. So at this point, we're just going to start talking about guys who we think are ranked too low and that we think could be sleepers in your draft. And obviously, as we go down, it'll be deeper league sleepers, unless Yahoo really blew it. So when we entered the 100s and the 100 to 200 ranked players, I mentioned like 60 point value would be incredible to find there. And that's what you should be looking for because it's still there in Yahoo's rankings. How about past 200? There is still 60 point value. And I'm going to throw out Carl Haglund's name as Mm. the one who can give it to you. It's like the HBK line. Elon has been totally forgotten Kessel, I mean, was sort of ranked a little lower in the top end of these rankings. And I know you've got the B part of the HBK line highlighted to maybe chat about uh, as we go deeper and deeper into the rankings. But Carl Hangelin, after being traded to Pittsburgh, produced at a 60-point pace. He had an amazing change of scenery and much-needed one for comparison's sake. He was scoring at a much worse pace. I'm not going to give you the specific numbers, but a much worse pace. Uh, He finished the year with 17 points in 19 games. And then, of course, we all know how great he performed in the playoffs. So Carl Hagelin is my sub-200 guy that I would be looking to elevate in my own rankings first. Elon, while we're here, I'm just going to, because I'm talking, I'm going to throw out two more names there are two potential number one centermen in Minnesota right here. Eric Stahl and Miko Koivu. I figure one of them has to be worth more than their ranking. Okay. So I think we should each be allocated a couple of shoulder shrugs for this podcast, <laughs> where if you say a guy that I could just kind of go, eh. And that's kind of how I feel about Carl Hagelin. Like, yeah, he had a really good run, but really like overall in his career, he hasn't done anything too spectacular. I feel like I'm not going to be so shocked to see him fall to 200 in my draft. Maybe you could get some good value there. Maybe that's sleeper potential. And if he continues to click with Phil Kessel and Benino, if they even stay together, like there's, I don't think it's impossible, but I don't think it's like, oh my God, I can't believe Carl Hagelin is so low on the list, especially when you look at some other guys. So I think, I, I think there are some guys though, I do agree with that there are, Still is some 60-point upside in the 200s. I'm not going to say Carl Hagelin, but I will say Nick Ehlers. You know how much I love Nick Ehlers. I know how much you love Nick Ehlers. He could potentially be the top-line left winger with Blake Wheeler and either Little or Shifley. Like, that's what happened at the end of last year. I don't see why that won't happen again this year. He could easily get 60-plus points. He was on a higher pace than that whenever he was in the top six, and I feel like it's going to be a lot harder for them not to put him there next season. Ranked at 213. Definitely give me Ehlers over Carl Hagelin. I'm seeing Ryan in the chat room is saying Ehlers for president. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. I don't know if he's also eligible. Don't you have to be an American for that job? But I do think that he should be ranked higher than 213. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Likely first line. It's not like the Jets have any real much better options to go there, except Maybe, I mean, it depends on how the whole lineup shakes out, but Ehlers looks like a sure thing to be in the top six, is probably the best left winger on the team, where Elon, I'm going to bring you back to Hagelin with that comment, because you look at their left side over in Pittsburgh, and who else is there? Eric Fair, Connor Shearing, Chris Kunitz. 
Mm-hmm. You got to figure Hagelin sees either Crosby or Malkin as a centerman. I don't think that's so for sure, because I think that Connor Sheary was playing with Sidney Crosby in the playoffs and they won the cup. So I think there's a very good chance that he stays in that position. Like, I don't think I'm, I think I see you're laughing. I don't think I'm crazy to think that Connor Sheary can hold that spot in the top six. And I also think that Chris Kunitz could hold his spot in the top six. So I don't think there's any guarantee that uh, Carl Hag- But I mean, I'm not saying Carl Hagelin's not going to have a good line mate. Uh, he's had good line mates on New York also. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I think he could get 50 points. I, <laughs> I think you doubt Carl Hagelin's moral character <laughs> is what I'm hearing. I, okay. I, okay, you're you're making me do this, Brian. I'm bringing up Carl Hagelin's career stats. Okay, he had last year, I guess, a good year for sure. We're going to agree on that. He had 39 points overall, by the way. But I in guess, Anaheim, yeah. hang on. In Anaheim, w- before he was traded, I think I said New York earlier. He was in New York before Anaheim. In Anaheim, he had 12 points in 43 games. Awful. Terrible. Before that, in New York, he was never more than a half point per game player. But there was the argument consistently that he was always being utilized incorrectly in those stops. And I think if Pittsburgh loves to play a speed game as they did in the playoffs and they're going to continue doing that through the start of the regular season. I think he's, he's well positioned. Elon, I don't see Hagelin. Okay. No, I was going to say, I don't see him markedly different from Hornquist, but I suppose I do. He's a match <laughs> down from Hornquist. I, um, we can move on. I, I hear your point and I give full, full Brian. credit to it. And maybe I've lowered my own concept of Hagelin. I just think 200, you, you pick him as your 205th pick or wherever he's ranked in Yahoo. That, that's good upside. Brian, I am ready to put whatever title we have on the line right now. If you want to make our official bet for the year, it's being brought up right here. Matthew in the chat room is suggesting it. Ehlers versus Hagelin, total points. Do you want to take that bet with me? I'm very confident Ehlers is going to take it. No, I'm going with Ehlers Ah. also. All right, fine. All right, but you know what? We're also leaving out a guy, our perennial. Obviously, this guy should be higher, and then he always disappoints us. But I'm going to say him again because he probably should be higher if he plays next year, by the way, there are some legal troubles to be concerned about, but Evander Kane down at 233. This is a guy who, first of all, if your league counts shots on goal, like we've said it all before about Evander Kane. Maybe we have some new listeners. Definitely I'm taking Evander Kane over Eunice Donskoy, by the way. I still don't get why he's <laughs> where he is. But like Evander Kane, yeah, last year it wasn't the greatest year. And I did have some debates on the Facebook group about why he isn't as good as people were saying he was when we were ranking like our top 100 for the Cacupful. But I do think that he's higher than the, what is he, 233 that he is in this list. We had 35 points in 65 games last year, still 20 goals. And this is in 65 games. He had some injuries, 271 shots, like very impressive. And we're not so, so far removed from a 30-year goal. I guess we are like five years ago already, 30 goals in a season for Winnipeg. But he's still a guy I think that could give you 55 to 60 points, a lot of them goals, and a lot of shots on goal. So probably you could sneak him in your draft and be pretty happy to have him in your lineup. I mean, I guess by default, he's probably the best left wing in Buffalo. And, you know, I don't want to get too into it because I I prefer to wait until all of his legal troubles clear up. But suffice to say, I'm just going to say I'm over Evander Kane. I used to really think of him as like a guy who could go 30-30 frequently in his career. Uh, Now he reminds me more of like a Jeff Skinner as someone who's going to tease every now and then, put a ton of shots on goal maybe help you with your peripherals if you count hits, but he's not somebody that I get overly excited about anymore. 
Yeah, that's fair. But how about another guy? If we're talking about guys who give you a lot of shots on goal, can we talk about Nazem Kadri, a 263? We were talking about potential top line, top power play centers. Like, I know that Toronto has Austin Matthews. I don't know if he takes that job next season. And in the meantime, you have Nazem Kadri, who last year had like that really low shooting percentage, only a 6.5 shooting percentage percent. I mean, of course, when his career average is more like 10%. And he still ended the year with 45 points in 76 games, which isn't bad, but 260 shots on goal. Maybe he could get 50 55 points i'm not saying nazim kadri is going to blow the roof off and i think there is more of a risk this year of him losing his top spot if austin matthews has as big of an impact as some people think he can but i do think probably he's one of the last potential top line centers that you're going to see at 260 in your draft for sure and he's a guy who last year was doing absolutely everything right for like the first half of the season and seeing no rewards reaping nothing He had done a very good job getting shots on goal, playing the role he was asked to play, but just didn't have a lot of points to show for it, had a low shooting percentage, fixed that towards the end of the season. In the post-All-Star break, he had 19 points in 28 games, which is more like the point pace I would expect from him. I feel like the way we sort of think about Nazem Kadri has really changed from, you know, the initial time when he was drafted, oh, he's going to be this phenom, this young scorer, this big, energetic, quick, skilled Guy, I said big, but I meant in like the figurative way, not the literal way because he's smaller. Anyway, he was on the 55-point pace post-All-Star break last year. I think there's going to be a bit of a deeper roster in Toronto. Call me crazy, but there might be one or two new names on the team that are going to help make things happen. I think what you do have to watch out for, Elon, is Austin Matthews and whether he's going to be getting the prime offensive opportunities both at even strength and on the power play. Okay, so I'm seeing some names thrown out in the chat room for guys in the 200s. I have to say, I still think I have some better guys than the ones being listed here, <laughs> but let me know if you think I'm wrong. Anisimov, a 246. Yeah, he might play with Panarin and Kane again, but even in that position, it's not like he was setting the world on fire. Tyler Ennis, a 252, you talked about in the uh, your interview. I'm talking, these are people's name, by the way. Dustin is the one who brought up Anisimov. Ryan brought up Ennis. 291 Justin Schultz. Brian, did you want to talk about Justin Schultz over at 291? You know, I did. I just wanted to mention last year when he was traded to Pittsburgh, he saw power play time. He's at the third most on the team behind Latang, obviously, and Trevor Daly. Trevor Daly is no longer in Pittsburgh. And I don't know that there's anybody else that the Penguins are going to put ahead of Schultz on the power play depth chart. So you might be able to see the occasional power play point from Justin Schultz. Uh, because of less internal competition on that blue line. And for that reason, I think he might be worth a look before 291. Okay, so let me tell you the guys who I have in the 200s that I think are maybe guys you could get as steals in your drafts. I didn't mean to disparage the chat here. Thank you so much for everyone joining us <laughs> yeah, live here. Yeah, that was here. rude. And I actually give a I'm thumbs sorry. down when you said Anisimov. It was reactionary. I thought I was talking to you. I, res- okay, I respect no, no. the thought that if he gets to play with Kane and Panarin again, it could be good. But we saw last year... He was about a half point per game guy, even with those two going off as they were. Yeah, plus probably not a lot of power play points, not a lot of shots. Okay, yeah, but by the way, I should mention the people who joined us live. Every show we do now is live. We're pretty much doing every show moving forward on Sundays at 8 p.m. You can join us, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Get into the chat room, have some fun with us. But okay, Brian, I'm going to tell you some guys who I think are 
better than the guys that we just talked about that are in the 200s here. So let's get some, maybe some quick rolling them off. And you can tell me if you think they're as good as I think they are. First of all, a couple of goalies, Connor Hellebuck, a 214. I think you talked about him in that interview. I don't know. I, it all mixes together, but we both agree that Connor Hellebuck should be the number one goalie on Winnipeg. He does have the potential to be a really solid goalie on your fantasy team that plays a lot of games and has great numbers, gets some wins. If you could get him this late in your draft or like for $1 in an auction, I would definitely want him. And maybe also give me, since we're talking about goalies, Calvin Pickard all the way at 311, another guy who we think not the same as Connor. I think Connor Hellebuck is like crazy at 214. I think you should be able to get him a lot higher. I think Calvin Pickard is somebody you should at least look at if you're all the way down to 311 as maybe someone to look at. But okay, maybe they're completely different guys. What do you think, think about that's Hellebuck? Go- I think that's going a bit too far with Pickard. I mean, maybe you should bump him up, but I don't think that should be like a focal point of your draft strategy to bump maybe someone who's going to be maybe given a chance to be the backup in Colorado and maybe will be able to take advantage of it. A lot of maybes there to want to really add much value to him. I feel like he's a guy you can probably get at a free agency later. Okay, fair. Hellebuck, Hellebuck. I, know, I know you want to get Hellebuck. I'm into Hellebuck. There's no way um, that you're going to get a goalie of his caliber that late in the draft. The question is if anybody else at your draft is going to realize that he is now the starter in Winnipeg. The thing with Hellebuck is there is a little bit of a tell in the rankings. He is ranked ahead of Andre Pavlik. He is the highest ranked Jets goalie. So if somebody has a thought, oh, who's the number one goalie for the Jets? Uh, they might get their answer from the rankings and beat you to it. But he does deserve, I, like, I don't expect him to finish with a whole pile of wins on his plate, but I do expect him to put up a reasonably good save percentage that should help you most weeks. We saw him have a very successful start, sort of petered out towards the end of his stay in the NHL last season. I expect he's another year older, has some experience and should be ready to go. Okay, yeah. And so some other guys I'll mention in the 200s, these are guys who have good situations. They could potentially be on their team's top power plays. And for that reason, I would definitely want to look at them. I'm talking about Mike Green on Detroit. I know he let a lot of us down last year, but at 220, the potential top power play defenseman, I would take Mike Green as the last defenseman on my lineup to start the year, especially with word coming out that Nicholas Cronwall is injured. Also, I see P.A. Parento there at 237. We've seen him before play with John Tavares and be successful. I could definitely see Parento, Tavares, and Andrew Ladd on that top line. Just something to watch maybe as the preseason uh, happens and you start seeing some of the lines. I think P and Parento is someone to at least look at. Then we've got Brian, your favorite, Jason Pominville at 248. Someone else who could end up on the top line in Minnesota, or at least in the top six and on the top power play. He let a lot of us down last year, but maybe there's something there. Troy Brower, we've talked about, not such a great player, but could potentially be in an amazing situation on Calgary, and he's down at 288. And then I'll round out the list with Marcus Johansson, someone who is pretty much a half-point-per-game player, but does tend to get a lot of top power play time on Washington. So I could also see him being worth more than the 290. Sorry for the spitball there. Like say any comments you want about any of those guys. I've actually got a couple guys that I might consider that you didn't mention in the 200s that I'd bump up. Thomas Plekinik. He might still get to play with Brandon Gallagher. He might still get time as the number one center. He might still get to play with Max Pacioretty. I have actually taken him late in drafts in the last couple years and have benefited quite a bit from it. I don't know if I would take him, like I'd probably even take him later than I have in the past, but he's a good guy that you can get value from this late in the draft. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Also, if Drysaddle ends up playing on the right side in Edmonton, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is your number two center. And it's not a terrible place to be. Like it depends on who McDavid ends up with. I have this theory that McDavid is going to get saddled with like the so-so guys and has to drag them along while Nugent Hopkins 
might be able to hopefully like pull maybe an Everly on his line. That's just my pipe dream. Uh, I've always liked Nugent Hopkins, but he's never really delivered in terms of huge fantasy production. Uh, Riding Verbata, we talked about him earlier this offseason in Arizona, maybe getting a second chance to redeem himself. And Elias Lindholm over in Carolina, down at the bottom of the 200s, like in the 290s somewhere. Someone who's going to play on the top six in Carolina and likely see power play time uh, is somebody that you can look to for value in that area. And one defense on that you haven't mentioned, Eric Johnson over in mm. Colorado. I know Tyson Berry's the guy or should be the guy, but that's been the concern for the last little while. He hasn't been the guy. I expect with Wall gone, he's going to be the guy more so than before. But Eric Johnson can still be expected to get some blocks for you as well and a few power play points along the way. Yeah, let's keep in mind, last year, uh, Eric Johnson had 27 points in 73 games, so it's an over 30-point pace. I guess not fantastic, but I think I agree with you. He could be a decent sleeper that late, especially if your league counts blocks. Ah, so many fun names. Nugent Hopkins, definitely. Garrett also mentioned him in the chat. Is a very good suggestion. That does seem very low for Nugent Hopkins all the way down. I think it's 240. Uh, Question here, Matthew Vole is asking, is straight, is Mark straight now fantasy irrelevant? We skipped through him two seasons ago. He had like 60 points, but I think what I'll say about Mark straight is just, he needs to be on the top power play to be fantasy relevant. Last year at the end of the year, I think it was Voracek who was injured. And so Mark straight got in as the second defenseman with Shane Gospair. I don't know if that's going to happen again. You know, their forwards are healthy. They're probably going to go back to the four forwards. And even if they were doing two defensemen, there's Provorov who could potentially get a look. I'm not drafting Mark straight in my draft, but I would definitely keep an eye on him if he gets on the top power play and pick him up for sure. You know, at the peak of his career, he was a 55, 60 point guy. And interestingly enough, the peak of his career was like, when he was 30 and 31 years old, he's now going to be 39 in December. So he's getting up there in age, which is probably the reason why you can expect Ghost Bear to likely hold down that top power play spot. When I talk to people who are thinking of drafting Ghost Despair, I do want to remind them that Strait is still on the roster. And if Ghost Bear takes a step back or didn't condition well enough in the summer, whatever, Strait's still there, and I think he can step up and do his job still as a 39-year-old QBing that unit. I just don't know that he's going to get a huge chance. I feel like he's going to have a huge drop in average draft position from last year to this year, maybe one of the biggest of any player. Okay, so Brian, I guess we're running a bit late right now. I still have some guys that now we're getting into the 300s and 400s. We're getting into the deep sleepers. Do you want to do some dueling picks here? How about we go back and forth? We take turns naming guys until our lists are done. That's cool with me. My list goes pretty deep. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep this moving. Oh, Elon, there's actually a guy in the 200s that I wanted to mention. So before we move on completely, Craig yes. Smith is over yeah. at 211. He played a lot of last season with Mike Ribeiro and Philip Forsberg. So when you look at Nashville's depth chart, he seems like a guy who could, just by default, end up playing with some very talented line mates. Colin Wilson is another name, except Colin Wilson hasn't made quite as much of his time as Craig Smith. Another guy way down as Cali Arncroft. I guess what I'm saying, Elon, is look for those Nashville wingers who are going to fill out that line with Johansson and Forsberg. And then you've got Neil and Ribeiro, there's going to be two guys who are lucky enough to coast on those top two lines. you got to find them. And Smith and Yarncroc are probably my top two candidates. The people watching live are seeing me do the biggest shoulder shrug I could muster <laughs> right now. Like, I'm not drafting Craig Smith or Callie Yarncroc or, or Colin Wilson. Like, maybe I'll pick him up at free agency. For sure, we'll talk about him on the podcast if they get into a really good situation. 
But come on, I'm not drafting one of those guys, especially when there's still some of these other guys in the 300s. Tell me who. All right, so I'll give you a couple. Maybe we could go back and forth. I'm going to give you some names. All of these guys I like better than Craig Smith, (laughs) I would say. Okay. How about you talk so much about Carl Hagelin? You love Carl Hagelin. How about get the centerman there, Nick Benino? On the well, HBK but, line at 3.55. Well, maybe you shouldn't because the centerman Nick Benino was there because Malkin wasn't. And now Malkin is. So Nick Benino likely is down to the third line. I get what you're saying. And I did allude already to him being maybe someone you should consider being bumped up a little bit. Maybe he gets reunited with Kessel at some point for some reason or another. Maybe the Penguins try to roll with the top nine. Uh, Nick Benino, I don't know if he's someone I'm going to draft, though. Okay, I agree. But throwing him out there since you mentioned Carl Hagelin, we're so excited about him. <laughs> oh my gosh. How about uh, Craig Smith's centerman that you just mentioned? How about Mike Ribeiro over at 360? He's a guy who, for the past couple of seasons, has been okay. Uh, two seasons ago, he was really good for assists and some power play points. You know, no shots. Like, he really doesn't help you in any peripherals. And I don't know how much he has left, but maybe at 360 as the last pick in your draft, you could do worse than Mike Ribeiro. I mean, we are talking about the ends of your draft. So when I tell you that my initial response is that he's really the guy that ends up at the top of your waiver wire, who you might cycle through a few times over the course of the season. Yeah, there's, like it's hard to find draftable guys at this point. I don't know that Ribeiro is one of them. I do know, Elon, that a guy I might draft ahead of Ribeiro. Actually, I don't know. I just really wanted to, to set that up in a contrarian way. But Alex Edler is still a power play quarterback, and he's still there at 305. Now, Ben Hutton did have a little bit of a turn there and did quite well, but if you look at points per 60 with the man advantage, Alex Edler still finished ahead of Hutton in that respect. I'm also going to say another hurricane just about 20 spots down from Elias Lindholm. You'll find Lee Stempniak, who is a reliable 50 points, give or take five kind of scorer. Remember last year with New Jersey, he was one of the hottest guys out of the gate. And he might be somebody that you can pick up late in your draft and give you a little early season boost and hopefully full season boost. Yeah. Okay. So you said a a couple of guys there. I think Alex Edler is the real diamond in the rough there. This is potentially the top power play defenseman with the Sedins. Like people are getting so excited about Erickson playing with the Sedins. Why not give some love to Alex Edler, who's been reliable for a while? Like the reason that Ben Hutton had a good run was because... Alex Edler was injured. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be talking about Ben Hutton. And maybe now Ben Hutton is a decent pickup. He's ranked like 559. I had him in my list here as someone who could potentially make an impact, probably only if Edler gets injured. But I totally agree there. But since we're talking about defensemen, here's a guy who I think has a good, like he could end up being nothing for sure. But at a rank of 474, I think you could do a lot worse than drafting Damon Severson or Severson on New Jersey. This is a guy who, like, if you look at New Jersey's depth chart, he could be the top power play defenseman there. You know, maybe Larson had a chance to be that guy, but he's gone. There's, you know, Andy Green, I guess. But how old is Andy Green at this point? Like, Damon Severson can be the guy, and he could actually be on a pretty decent power play. Like, once you inject Taylor Hall onto this team, you could have Hall, Henrique, Palmieri, Camilleri, you know, and then throw in Damon Severson. That's not a bad power play. There's actually a lot of good late depth defenseman options. Severson is one of them, Elon. And it's funny because we talk about get that elite defenseman right off the top. But I'm also a proponent of like, if you have four D spots, you can wait till the end to fill the fourth or especially if you have six, you can wait till later on. Severson, Elon, like you mentioned, you know, there's only three guys on the New Jersey decor who've ever seen more than a single season's worth of power play time in the last three years combined. 
Severson is one of them. Andy Green is another. John Moore is another. But Severson leads that group in points per 60 minutes, which is why he might have a good shot at being that guy, even though he wasn't last year and he had a fairly anemic offensive season. Another defenseman who led his team in power play time, actually, or is a good candidate to lead his team in power play time, is Ryan Murray down at 4.53. He led Columbus in power play time all season long, and he actually doubled the next closest defenseman in Columbus over the last few months of the season in power play time on ice. By the way, that was David Sabard. He had like 44 minutes down the stretch, but Ryan Murray had 85 extra man minutes, and I don't see why all of a sudden that could change. I guess the threat you're looking at in Columbus is Zach Wierenski coming in and doing the sort of ghost bear situation where he can step up and be that guy, but going into the season, I think Ryan Murray is likely the power play quarterback. Elon, I see that you have something to say. I'm going to throw one more name out there as a late no. defenseman that you might be able no. to grab with power play time. I have to respond to Ryan Murray. After I say Adam Larson, that's all. I'm just going to say I don't know that he's going to be the power play guy. I just have to figure that they're going to give him every opportunity to score, but we've been through that before. He's yeah, at 407. Get, I don't want to get yelled at by Ian, the patron, by saying that you should draft Larson, Adam Larson, but like, yeah, I think that if he has a chance to play on the top power play with Connor McDavid, he could get some points, regardless of what his charts and fancy stats say. Like, just based on that, like, we've seen worse players get lots of points playing with Connor McDavid. But okay, Brian, I think you missed a main guy on Columbus. You said that the main threat to Ryan Murray is who? Zach Wierenski? What about Seth Jones? Seth Jones, the guy who they traded Ryan Johansson for. I think he's the guy who's going to step up and be the top power play defenseman on Columbus. He had 31 points last year in 81 games, and that's not bad for a guy at this point in his career. He's 21 years old. I think that he's the main guy, and I would definitely draft him. Where is he ranked, anyways, in this list? I haven't even I haven't noticed him. I don't. I guess people don't really talk about him that much. I'm looking him up right now on Yahoo. They've got Seth Jones over at 157, which seems right to me, and I think that I'd be much happier to have him than Ryan Murray. Yeah. Okay, I've got some egg on my face there. Seth Jones, for sure. And actually, he finished the season second in power play time on ice in Columbus behind Ryan Murray. And I'm actually going to have to go back and check to make sure of the last couple months that Ryan Murray was first. Oi, oi, that's what happens when you go like, you know, 20 minutes over time. But I'm still good to go. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm losing my, my edge here. And by the way, okay. it's worth noting that Seth Jones did have the best power play points per 60 of any defenseman in Columbus last year. So he's got that. Elon, you're right. Forget Ryan Murray. I guess Seth Jones will be off the board. Maybe you could just take that whole part out. All right. Yeah, we'll leave it in. You know it what? It deserves to be out. <laughs> we we need this part in so people can hear that we're pretty high on Seth Jones. But okay. And it's good also because I made that mistake about Los Angeles not making the playoffs. So now we could be even for big mistakes on the podcast. I'll throw out another couple of defensemen as we're ending the show here. Uh, these are guys who aren't going to get you a ton of points, but could be really good for peripherals if you're getting like your last guy in your draft. Gotta mention Radko Gudas. He's ranked at 401. If your league counts hits and blocks, like, come on. Like, you already know from playing like fantasy hockey in your league for the past couple of seasons that Radko Gudas could be a really valuable guy. He could get you like eight hits and four blocks in a game, in a single game. 
So you got to look at him. And then you got to also mention Francois Beauchemin. Yes, he's still in the league. And yes, he was among the blocks leaders last year. And he got some points. So I think that there's, I don't know really what his potential is for points. I know he was on the second power play last year, I guess, with Eric Johnson. And so maybe if Francois Beauchemin can put up a good number of blocks and get you, say, 30 points worth, that would be really good. I'm not sure if he can do it, but we're talking about a very late pick here. But 384 oh. ranking, I don't know. He was very valuable last year for me in the cupful. I'm going to throw in one last defenseman to Elon. James Wisniewski in Tampa at 350. I know the opportunity isn't there, so he's not somebody you should jump at. Maybe he's, maybe he's more of a watch list ad at the end of your draft. And Elon, I'm actually going to go all the way down because there's a number one center down at 364 that we have yet to mention and his name is Martin Hansel. How do you feel oh. about bumping him up from 364, like maybe into the top 200? Well, Martin Hansel is good when he <laughs> plays for a while sometimes, then he gets injured, and then he yeah. comes back. I don't know about Martin yeah, Hansel. That, like, that's the concern with Martin Hansel, that he's going to get injured. Dylan Strome provides some internal competition in Arizona this year. But I still think Martin Hansel probably leads the way down the middle, at least for the first half of the season. Yeah, okay. And yeah, I'll throw out one more name maybe to end the show. If you're talking about some guys who have some potential, how about Jason Zucker on Minnesota? He had a good run. I don't know like what his spot on the team will be now that they've picked up Eric Stahl. Maybe he gets bumped out of the top six, but he's ranked at 431. Sostikov also on Toronto at 695. I just wanted to throw him out there because he was someone who had some value late in the year last year when he got called up. I, I, I think we're about done here. I don't know when they were practicing together, Elon, but I think I recall reading that Jason Zucker and Eric Stahl were looking very good together while just shooting around. Elon, before we leave, I know we keep saying I'm going to throw in one more. You can have the last one after this one, I promise. Nick Ritchie in Anaheim is my deepest dive down these rankings. He's all the way down at 634 out of like 753. Um, But he is a guy who has some upside who's pretty much alone on the left side in Anaheim right now so you wonder if maybe he gets to be this year's you know Maroon or Bolesky or Raquel uh, somebody who can play on that left side the thing is in Anaheim though Raquel isn't yet listed as a winger so he could still be the guy who gets to play with Getzlaff and Perry if they're even together but Nick Ritchie could be another guy to watch who might be on the up and up that's a that's a really deep cut I don't expect many people to be in leagues where he's worth drafting Okay, we're getting creamed here in the chat room. Ryan is saying Zucker, but no love for Matthew Perot. So, okay, I guess Zucker is a guy who I just see as having a better chance to make it into the top six than Matthew Perot. Like, Matthew Perot had a really good run a couple of years ago, but just Winnipeg has picked up some guys that knocked Perot down. Like, unfortunately, nothing against Matthew Perot, but when he was in the top six doing well, that was before Winnipeg had Nikolai Ehlers and before they had Patrick Laine. And now, like, where does Perot really fit? Like, I just don't see, like, we have Little, Shifley, Ehlers, Laine, Wheeler... And then I guess maybe Perot could get in there. But then you also have Drew Stafford. I don't know. It's just like there's a lot of competition. Maybe the same as with Jason Zucker. I don't know. But I just don't see Matthew Perot as someone I'm overly excited about going into the season. I also think Perot's curse might be that he's a pretty useful guy in a lot of different roles. And he could be looked at as a good solution to be a stabilizing presence on, say, line three. Now, the Jets also have... You know, a guy like Alex Burmistrov, who might be able to do the same job. But Perot is a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. And I see that as being a reason for him being moved around the lineup enough for you to not be able to count on steady production from him. Of course, as we did a couple of years ago, we'll let you know if we see something else brewing with him 
But for now, uh, I, I feel maybe he's a little low for sure, but he didn't jump out at me as a guy that I'd want to move far up my draft list. Yeah, Matthew Perot, though, we should give him some credit. He's one of the first good Brian calls on keeping Carlson. In like our first season, Brian said that he was going to be good. And then he went on to have like almost a point per game pace for a couple of months. And everyone was thanking us so much for telling them about Matthew Perot. So a little blast from the past there, but I don't see it happening again this season. We have one more thing to mention, Elon, before we close out the show. We, we started this show with so much hype about the cupful. We never told anybody how to register. For okay, the yes. Keith Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League or Fantasy League. Uh, we're hosting it on Fan Tracks this year. Like I said, there's going to be at least nine separate divisions. There's a ladder, there's promotion, relegation. Most of the teams in the league will get into a promotion playoffs or a relegation playoffs. It's super exciting. You're against people from all over the world who live and die for fantasy hockey. It is the most competitive league that I'm aware of. I am terrified of my competition this year. If you would like to work your way up to perhaps facing Elon or I in a very competitive fantasy hockey setting one day, this is a good chance to get into the cupful. Elon, registration deadline is on September 7th. That's this Wednesday. Yeah, the cupful, even if you join now, yeah, you start at the bottom tier, but you're still competing against people who are paying money to support a fantasy hockey podcast such as ours. So you're going to have amazing competition. Brian and I are the commissioners. We're going to be watching it very closely. We've set the rules to be just perfect. Uh, it's going to be such a fun league. I really hope that you could get in on it. And it's also a way for you to help support the show because the cupful is one of the perks if you become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Like we've said many times, we'll say it one more time because this is the last chance to get in before the sign-up deadline. So if you become a patron of Keeping Carlson, you could get access to our patron-only Facebook group where people have been making lots of posts lately about like which keepers they should take or how to prepare for their drafts. And then all throughout the season, you know, we're going to be talking about, you know, you can basically ask anything about your team. We're like your little... Uh, friend and you have like all these friends who can answer fancy hockey questions for you plus we do our monthly patron cast jeff good the guy who i interviewed about auction drafts the auction draft expert jeff good just commented in the chat that we should have compared the yahoo rankings to the patron rankings because we all summer were ranking players in the patron group and yeah maybe that's something we could do on the next patron cast comparing the yahoo rankings to our patron rankings to see who were different in each of those so yeah it's a lot of fun if it's something that you might consider, keepingcarlson.com slash patron is where you can get all the information, including how to sign up for the cupful. Brian, I guess that's it for today's show. We've said so many players. If you have a thought on some of the players we've mentioned, if you think that we totally missed someone, or if you think that we're totally wrong about someone who we did mention, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. Twitter has started to heat up, and it's been a lot of fun chatting with some of you people with questions about how to prepare for your drafts. Obviously, we can't give an in-depth response like we do in the Facebook group, but still, we're definitely watching Twitter. Also, if you wanted to do us a favor, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. That always helps. That's all I've got to say, Brian. So uh, how about we cue that outro music, and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Brian, did you use ESPN Fantasy Hockey? No, but I'm just so used to saying it. <laughs> Take out ESPN. I'm using Fantrax now to do my research. I guess I used to look at ESPN to get players' numbers. Now I like using Fantrax to search. So you could take out ESPN. They're fine, but we didn't use them to research this show. We definitely did use Yahoo, though, because we were using their rankings, and we mocked a lot of them. But obviously, it's very nice of them to give out a free fantasy platform, so I guess we can't mock them too much. Fantrax is also free, though, but not if you want to get the premium features that Elon, we're going to be using. Like this, in the I'm, 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 <laughs> Why are you interrupting me? Up toy. 
I just didn't know that you were going to be able to stop yourself. I'm sorry. I thought it was helping. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you all with the <laughs> Schmorgolisborg episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl's son. Yes. <laughs>